You know, I've been, I've been collecting watch parts from all these watchmaking courses that brands do whenever we visit the manufacturers. So I technically have a main plate from Zenith, a case from Bremont from like eight years ago, screws from Glossit Original. I have a balance cock from Lange. We can see this coming together, right? Oh yeah, you're on your, you're on your way there. Yeah, it's the ultimate Swiss collaboration watch. I, I, you know, everyone loves a good collaboration. What better way than just little parts, you know, you've pinched from a, a decade worth of watchmaking courses. There have been other Franken watches on the market that have been successful. Why not yours? It will proudly call the Franken watch. He will be my first brand testimony. Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. Being hosted from a hotel in Shakespeare country in England, a Scotsman has travelled south of the border. We only do it occasionally, and we tend to do it under the cover of darkness and night, and we don't bring expensive watches with us, just in case, because, you know, England and all that. But where is everybody else? David, where are you? I'm still in my office with nice and fast internet, probably not something yes. that you have, Rick, right? No, it's it's entirely likely that a video show ends up going back to being probably on cassette recorder at the speed of the internet yeah. cu- currently it's suffering. It's going to be a telegram. I, I've always Nice won- watch, stop. <laughs> no, it's not, stop. <laughs> See, life was just simpler back in the days. Do you like it? Yes or no? Yeah. <laughs> Ariel, you've been your travels, you have returned. But what we all want to know is, and we haven't done this for a while, is a blog to watch, watches, watches. What did you watch on the flight? And were there any good watches on it? Was there any good watch content in the films? I did see one watch-related thing, uh, minorly, but I thought it was an interesting plot thing. This was like some Japanese cartoon, maybe for kids, not sure. Um, <laughs> but there was, there was, it was interesting how they put it in there. There was a guy in this thing who was like a suitor to a woman, and someone else who's trying to pl- play a trick on him decides we're going to test his intelligence by seeing if he can fix a watch. So they give him a broken gold watch and be like, can you fix this? I don't actually know if he ever did because I couldn't get through more of the movie, but I thought that was interesting to throw it in there. How do you find all these movies? If I watch movies on a flight, there's no watch in it ever. <laughs> I mean, Rick asks, so I have to like, you know, look mm. out for these things, especially. Do the research. <laughs> Ripley, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, you're obviously sans wall because you appear to be sitting in the dark, so we're not getting to admire the wall you normally sit in front of this morning. It is Ripley gone dark. It's after dark Ripley, so we expect lots of abuse this evening but how are you ripley from the shadows uh yeah yeah i normally <laughs> record in a cave and it is now nighttime so the the, the cave is <laughs> is not illuminated um uh, i i'm well i'm well i'm happy that there's no longer rain and it is uh you know back to being sunny california so field watches moving away from dive watches good to hear right there has been a lot going on in the last week and frankly because of the lo-fi nature in which this particular episode is being recorded who knows what we're going to end up with so we're just going to power on and hope for the best first up ariel's thoughts is swiss made still worth the premium answers in a postcard david is swiss made still worth the premium i don't think it's ever been worth it simple straight to to the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean when was it that somebody looked at a watch that was like ten thousand, whatever it is and they said oh okay i'm not going to buy this unless it says swiss made on it probably it was a high quality watch 30 years ago when it says swiss made on it and you bought it anyway 
And now that the allure is gone, you're not buying it for Swiss made, you're buying it because you can recognize whether it's worth it or not. Mm. Right. So I think the, the, the price segment in which there is a question whether Swiss made is worth it is sub 1000. If it's a Thomas Earnshaw for 150 pounds um, made in Shenzhen and 250 made in uh, Swiss made. Right. That's where you where, where this question comes into the point. And also where Ariel discussed in his article, of course, which is in the thousands. But that's a uh, that's something that uh, I'm sure, Ariel, you will uh, elaborate on. Mm. Ariel. The reason that I wrote this article has to do with the investment that the Swiss watch industry as a community and also by extension the government um, are focusing on promoting this label. Uh, For a number of years, Swiss made was a label that was really sort of invented by the watch industry, to be honest, Um, even though there's other things that Swiss made. uh, What Swiss made means as watch is different than chocolate, for example. And they rallied behind this term because they said this sort of collectively benefits all of us, right? It didn't refer to one specific brand. And I had done uh, interviews with retailers over the years that said, you know, does the Swiss-made label mean something? Meaning, does customers, are they more reassured by this? Do they not care? Will they only buy it? It turned out that, yeah, for a long time, Swiss-made as a label on watches, um, even if it didn't necessarily help sell something, it created a lot of assurances. But... Over the last decade or so, we've seen an erosion, I think, of what Swiss made means, even by Swiss brands, especially the ones that don't want to say Swiss made. They say Swiss handcrafted or various other types of variations on it because they want to show that their watches are entirely made in Switzerland. And we also have the government, which really hasn't done too much to promote what Swiss made means, where I think in the past there was a little bit more of that. So the the question was not are Swiss watches any worse than they are. As David pointed out, there's some that could say Swiss made that are not really great watches and some that say Swiss made that are fantastic. But is is their investment and rallying around the term like there used to be? Of course, there's plenty of other watches that are, are good that are not Swiss made. But really the question is, is, is the industry and Switzerland in general um, creating romance and information around Swiss made? And, and I think there's a good argument to, to be said that they're doing it a lot less now in the past. Watch brands themselves may be tasked with promoting what it means to be Swiss, but there's messages from all over the place. And a bigger question I had was for more novice consumers are just coming into this. When you see Swiss made, does it make you feel like I only want to get something that says that? Do you not care? Um, what a novice or more sort of um, newer a collector who's just been getting this for fears, what they think and feel about it is very interesting to me because I, I can't quite determine. All I know is that what I started thinking about Swiss made, you know, 20 years ago, and that's quite evolved. So that's really the impetus for the article. Yeah, I think the global economy and, you know, everyone being aware that even if something is, you know, strictly Swiss made by the legal definition of the term, it can very well have rough parts finished and manufactured wherever else. Um, you know, it might be a, a piece that's cast or machined overseas, finished and assembled in Switzerland. You pair it with a Swiss mil- movement and a Swiss style. You know, and it, 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 the fact that there's such um, stringent yet loose criteria for what constitutes a Swiss-made watch, I think most people, I think on a very very surface level, on a when we're dealing with under a thousand dollars, yeah, like you know, it has a little bit of cachet behind it. And people look at a Swiss watch like they do like an import car. 
Uh, and then on the very, very high end, when you're looking at, you know, not just Swiss on a general level, but like one specific entity of Swiss or like a tradition or a region or something like that. But I think kind of on the mid range, most people assume that if something is Swiss, you know, it's probably a good watch, sure, but I don't know if it's anything that people place value for. And then to Ariel's point, whether or not the industry places value on it, I think the term sort of lost the meaning within the industry itself because, you know, something can be made, you know, just to the minimum standards of for what constitutes Swiss, and it can put Swiss made on its style just like something that's entirely hand carved by one guy over the course of years and you know, in the mountains of Switzerland. So like yeah, I, I think for those brands, that's why we see those other terms. But for a, why would a big brand want to invest in the Swiss-made uh, term when I think even the surface-level enthusiast doesn't really place significant value on it? You know, I think there, yeah, there's a lot less investment in that term, and there's also just a lot less emphasis on the term. Although I still think it means something on the very, very surface levels of watches. So for those who aren't familiar with the concept of what Swiss made actually means now, Ariel, uh, especially our substantial US listeners who understand that if something says it's made in the USA, it means it's 100% every jot and tittle is made in the USA. In Switzerland, the rules are somewhat laxer. Do you know what the current percentage and how it's assessed standard is to allow someone to put Swiss made on anything? Bear yeah, Toblerone no um, longer has Swiss made on it. <laughs> it's been increased over the last couple of years, but for the most part, it's still effectively the same. Uh, David will correct me if I'm wrong, but right now, as I understand it, the criteria is this. 60% of the value of the movement, <laughs> the value of the movement needs to come from Switzerland. And there's a couple of other little parameters, like what they say, final casing has to be done in Switzerland, which is really just sort of the last step where you you, you put the movement in the watch and you close it all up. Um, the Really, the wiggle room comes into that that 60% for the value of the movement. You could have one part balance spring or something like that and say like, oh, this is, this is 60% of the value because that's what it costs to be made in Switzerland, the rest of it. And so most of the movement doesn't necessarily need to be Swiss for it to satisfy that criteria. And that 60% amount was like up from 50%, but effectively it was just made for accounting differences, right? Like let's, let's make this part, you know, cost a little bit more. Um, but as you can see, it leads a lot of leeway. Now there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It makes not a huge amount of sense to require that each and every component uh, be produced in Switzerland. It needs to allow for openings other, other places. You have more specific criteria like the Seal of Geneva, which is really a lot more of like, super, super Swiss. Um, but I think that the problem is that Swiss made, you know, doesn't mean that there's any performance associated with it. Doesn't mean there's any particular decoration associated with it. And it, it really was left to, um, you know, the brands themselves to defend whatever this means, you know, or the brands would, you know, basically police one another, like, oh, you say Swiss made, but this isn't very good. And we've seen this over the years, you know, years ago, where the Swatch Group was kind of going after Tag Heuer for having like a Japanese based, um, you know, architecture for the 1887. Uh, even though it was made in Switzerland, they were like attacking them on Swissness and stuff like that. So you used to have a little bit more attacking that was very highly politically motivated when they did so. Whereas now, Rather than anybody even comment on Swiss made, if they feel like it's not good enough, they just sort of come up with their own labels, which further confuse consumers. And I think that it would 
be to everyone's benefit if Swiss made meant something again. I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I think that it's a good discussion to have because for many years, it was sort of a shortcut for sales to be like, oh, good watch, Swiss made. And I'm just not sure it has the same gravitas anymore. Plus, you see a lot of watches now that are designed in Switzerland, um, but don't say Swiss made on it. And then you have this whole other weird area of watches that are otherwise good, but use a, a different or lower cost or alternative sort of manufacturing technology. And so you know, it also opens up the question of are non-Swiss-made watches designed in Switzerland any good, which is sort of a further layer of confusion. So um, I can just see novices coming in being intimidated by how to make sense of all this. I mean, it is in the comment section. I don't know if it's true. You may or may not know. Uh, but the take that the number one watch manufacturer in the world does, uh, Apple, designed in Geneva, Switzerland, made in China. I don't know if that's actually a slogan that Apple use or just no, a, no. Apple a says designed in California, and right, okay, and and you know manufactured in China. So I think that they they're trying to say why doesn't Switzerland adopt a similar language where it's like it was made here or designed here, but the manufacture and that's mm-hmm. you know not not out of the question. Um, obviously, Apple's not required to do that. They do that for uh, messaging value, and I think it has worked for them. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a lot of transparency. Look, there's a lot of brands, not too many, I guess, but there's more and more brands that offer full transparency in the supply chain. And again, I don't know how many people have, have, have you know, really cared about this, but we've all seen websites where brands show the, you know, the countries where their stuff comes from or the list of suppliers. And it's been interesting to us, but I really don't know how that translates into, you know, relationship yeah. with the consumer. I mean, maybe as well as hit miss, maybe we should give every watch a ranking as to the percentage of Swissness we actually oh, think yeah, it is. So <laughs> that'll not upset anybody, obviously. So where do you think this goes? Do you think like the likes of Moser, the likes of Orage, there's a number of brands, they simply don't mention anything about where they're made and they certainly don't mention anything about Swissness despite the fact that there's a lot of Swissness about them. Is it just dying? I, I would look at it starting with the fact that originally so many of these brands would have to show together at Basel World, for example. And they would have to say there's some type of unifying factor that connects all these brands. If you're at Basel World and you're Swiss, there's some unifying set of values that applies to everyone. Meaning if you're a consumer or a retailer coming in here, there's sort of a certain you know, high level of esteem you should have at any company here. And that, and, that, and that lent itself well to companies that were sharing a space and wanted to sort of attribute from the positivity each brings. Now that we have, of course, Watches and Wonders is important. We have less shows and a lot of brands that never are involved. There's less of sort of that unifying factor. So I think that it makes sense in the context of like a Watches and Wonders where all the brands need to sort of say, we've led a certain, we've, we, you know, we've met a certain threshold of quality or Swissness for even being here, even though there's plenty of non-Swiss brands there. Grand Seiko's there, for example. But it's sort of like, it, what, what was Basel World Day? It was always like Swiss and friends, right? That's really what it was. And so it's like, you knew the Swiss <laughs> brands. And then if they were not a Swiss brand, very conspicuously labeled like, oh, we're German. We're not Swiss. Oh, okay. Or don't forget, we're Japanese. There was a big part of that. These days, I think there's a lot more blending. So I don't really know what the answer is, but I think that the Swiss brands need to come with some type of new um, you know, labeling, or maybe it's just rallying behind more seals of Geneva and stuff like that. So we've seen a lot of um, 
experimentations of making it better, but the Seal of Geneva has never taken out a giant campaign of its own to explain to people why you care about the Seal of Geneva. They've always relied on the brands to do that. We know the brands, they can only squeak by promoting the product. Really, any other more complicated message, for the most part, they can't really communicate. And so if the, if the originators of these, of these names aren't going to do the marketing, the brands themselves are not. Um, so this this is one of those issues where there's a problem, but it's very unclear who's actually left holding holding the responsibility and who has any resources to do anything about it. Hi, this is Ariel Adams, founder of a blog to watch with a message about eBay. I visit eBay daily and have been relying on eBay to learn about and acquire watches for more than 20 years. Did you know that you can now buy watches directly from brands or their authorized dealers on eBay? Timepieces coveted by watch enthusiasts from brands like Zodiac, Loco, Parallel, and more are part of eBay's Certified by Brand program. Here's how it works. Luxury names are partnering with eBay to bring brand new and pre-owned watches and other luxury accessories directly to you. Certified by Brand includes a minimum one-year factory warranty for watches and offers an unprecedented selection of new and used watches directly from the source all with a peace of mind you can expect from eBay. Visit ebay.com slash certified by brand for more information. Well, one uh, group of individuals that do have substantial resources were celebrating the spending of at least a few hundred thousand dollars of those resources this week. And you were involved, Ariel, in the first Louis Vuitton watch prize. I think you posit that the true winner of the Louis Vuitton watch prize was Jean Arnaud himself, rather than the actual winner. Uh, tell us, how was the how was the inauguration of an event? Did it, did it take a while to kind of find what it was about? You know, all of these, the great and the good of the watch industry turning up, you know, They've got, they've got no template with which to look to as to how to do this. They're kind of making up the rules as they go along. Yeah, um, I actually think that they did sort of at the end a pretty good job of explaining to everyone why they were there. And really the reason was, hey, we're announcing a winner, which is like a super easy thing for people to understand. You know, there's, there's a couple of finalists. <laughs> uh, one winner is going to be chosen. And again, this is something that most human beings are going to understand. We're here to choose a winner. Uh, the reality was is that the, the the choice of the winner was, while it was important and very, you know, a, a good media moment, it's really what happens with the winner, right? Everyone's curious as to what the outcome of this mentorship is going to be. And um, Ra Raul uh, uh, Pajas, uh, you know, was the ultimate winner and he was celebrated as such. But what I'm looking forward to is what's going to happen across the next year when he, you know, does something with uh, La Fabrique du Tomps under Louis Vuitton to create um, whatever it is that they will do. Um, it was a it was a nice gala event where you know the 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 winners and a lot of media were there. Uh, there was a you know an auditorium and a presentation and. Parts of it, in my opinion, were modeled a little bit after the uh, Geneva's uh, GPHG, the sort of Grand Prix, which is sort of just a full-on popularity-based award show, um, which I actually think lent itself better to a format like the, the Watch Prize, which is really just about popularity. Yes, it was about merit, but it was, you know, who are these guys do we do we like? Who's going to have – who's a good craftsman? Who's a good personality? Um and so I think that was a very interesting exercise in Louis Vuitton courting itself um, to the industry in a way that has really never done so before. I mean, years ago, David, you remember 
Louis Vuitton watches was in a tent outside of Basel world, right? It was sort of like the spillover. Mm -hmm. like, if you have time, go check out what's going on here. And if you had time, you'd go in there being like, oh, that's really cool. You guys are doing good stuff. But I don't uh. think Louis Vuitton was ever taken seriously enough for the types of stuff it did. And when Jean Arnaud got in there, I'm sure he was like, okay, guys, we're not really being appreciated enough. We'd still too much prejudice about this. I want the guys who are, you know, getting snobby about their APs, Pateks, and Vacherons to be like, I want to wear, you know, a Louis Vuitton as well. And so part of this was basically saying like, hey, watch snobs, we're going to give you a reason to, to think about Louis Vuitton. And if the larger mission was to create um, more awareness and acceptance of Louis Vuitton as a elite high-end watchmaker, this did a very good job at that. You know, I, and I said this in the article, I don't see a lot of commenters being like, Louis Vuitton, those are women's watches. They don't make high-end mechanical watches, you know, like, but That's you would see this from Bulgari, even like years after they, you know, had plenty of <laughs> high-end super complications. Um, so I think Jean Arnaud was able to really speedily uh, adjust a lot of the perception and make sure people speak about the brand the right way. Um, they have the money and the resources and the draw to do something like this. And the final thing I'll say, which was so valuable about it, is even if the initiative itself was confusing and you're like, what were they trying to do? What was the goal of all this? Bringing all these people together to have a discussion about it was the most valuable thing. Uh, you know, Jean mm -hmm. Arnaud and Louis Vuitton have the draw. They can, they can invite people who will come. And simply having a bunch of people in the same room that are so important to the industry, whether it's a media perspective or a watchmaking perspective, in this hall, rallying under the umbrella of Louis Vuitton does such good things, both for LVMH and the perception of Louis Vuitton watches in the future. So from a marketing exercise, while it wasn't cheap, I think that it was extremely effective. And what do we think about the winner? Did you feel there was enough... Uh, like, did you feel the quality of the debate? I don't know how you decided as one of the member of the jury, how you came, whether it was unanimous or a vote or how it all worked, but were you happy with the outcome? <laughs> I mean, look, we're... Or are you sworn there to... Was have you got an NDA signed in blood that you're not allowed to discuss anything that went on in the judges' room? Well, I, I, I wasn't part of the people that selected uh, who of the final five was going to win. I was a little bit beforehand. I did select Raul as being a potential candidate to win. I did think mm -hmm. he had the, the right stuff. And really it was about potential. It wasn't about what he made now. It's what could he do if given the extra resources available. And I think that's where a lot of it, mm -hmm. it, it got confusing. There was a lot of really good watchmakers, but the question was, can they benefit from this at all? And then you had stuff that was really weird that I would have liked, uh, people that may not lived in uh, Geneva, but just had interesting stuff that I thought would do well. But, you know, I can see people at, at Louis Vuitton thinking like, oh, these, these people are too esoteric and too weird. So I think that Raul was a good mixture of like a real watchmaker that, you know, epitomizes the craft more than just sort of a Me Too watch because, you know, it has a detent escapement and some interesting stuff like that. Um, close proximity uh, to the manufacturer in, in Geneva. So I think that was a combination of practicality and merit and stuff like that. Um, everyone was great. That's the thing. Everyone who participated in this really cared. And it was a tough thing. You had, you had Andreas Strahler there who, you know, he's not exactly a novice and he's, um, you know, plenty successful in the space, whether it's making his own watches or watches for other people, yet he competed. And very frankly, you know, people said, what would you do if you won? He's like, I just want the awareness so people buy more Andreas Strahler watches. 
there wasn't really too much that he was thinking he could do with Louis Vuitton, um, even though that potential exists once once you're a winner. So I think that it really came down to, you know, who is a really great person who looks good on paper now and who can we actually help after the fact? So there's a lot of determinations there. And I get why he was chosen. Um, and I think that it, it made it made sense. And you had this other gentleman there who had like the B clock, but, you know, it's not a wristwatch. It's not particularly horologically complicated. It was just sort of this pretty thing. So ultimately, I think that the, the, the chosen winner was a practical choice, though. There was a lot of other ones. And, you know, I would have liked to see some crazy left field artistic wild watchmaker win and do something weird but you know that would have satisfied like a bunch of you know highly accomplished collectors that are bored of normal things like me and it wouldn't have been mainstream enough i think we lost i think we lost the host boom, boom, boom. the host has disappeared um well it's all on us gentlemen any thoughts about raul podges and the Louis Vuitton watch prize from your vantage point. You can air it all out now, Ariel. Who would you have preferred to have win, to have won? Who is it? I don't remember their names. <laughs> very, a lot of very That's a meritable. complicated names that I don't <laughs> remember. <laughs> all of that. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, look, there was, here's the thing. There'll be more Louis Vuitton watch prizes and people will be able to reapply that. That's something they made very clear that if you lose, mm. um, they'll want you to go back and try it again. And, uh, Louis Vuitton has expressed the wishes that they do this every two years. So it's unclear exactly what the plans are, but there's supposed to be more of these. All right. That's good to know. Can we enter? Like, just botch something together and then see what happens? You have to have a completed watch. So if you can do that, yeah. All right. You know, I've been, I've been collecting watch parts from all these watchmaking courses that brands do whenever we visit the manufacturers. So I technically have a main plate from Zenith, a case from Bremont for like eight, from like eight years ago, screws from Glossy Torignal. I have a balance cock from Lange. We can see this coming together, right? Oh yeah, you're on your you're on your way there. Yeah, it's the ultimate Swiss <laughs> collaboration watch. I, I you know everyone loves a good collaboration. What better way than just little parts? <laughs> you know you've pinched from a, a decade worth of watchmaking courses. You see, you see. There have been other Franken watches on the market that have been successful. Why not yours? It will proudly called the Franken watch. He will be my first brand testimony. Plus, of all the balance cocks to have, I think Longa might have one of the best. So, you know, I think that's that can be a center point for it. You can make it like an all-star watch, just the favorite parts of a bunch of brands. So I lose connection for a few minutes and I come back on and the conversation's about balance cocks. Right, can I not leave you guys alone for more than two minutes? <laughs> <laughs> you definitely can, but you should pay your room. <laughs> Maybe they will not kick you off the internet then. <laughs> The uh, yes, yeah, so yeah, just explain. I, yeah, I am suffering from hotel internet right now, and also the mm. choice of using a brand new system of recording on the same day. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this goes. Whether we get a show out of this or not. So, gentlemen, had you finished? What could your, possibly go wrong? Indeed, had you finished your conversation about all things Louis Vuitton watch prize and Cox? Yes, excellent, good stuff. Our, our guests for Hitmas maybe are beginning to arrive, but we'll keep them quiet for a wee minute uh, while we look at a watch or two. 
And the first one I wanted to look at was a new release. Uh, Ripley, you wrote the article on this. The Citizen Atessa Hakuto R collaboration Moon-inspired watch. I really rather like this. Am I right, Ripley? Yeah, so they're cool. I, I'm I'm happy that Citizen is making watches to promote this initiative of theirs. Um, they supply their super titanium alloy. They're a corporate sponsor of iSpace, and so for the Hakuto R program, they supply. I, I'm I'm sure there's funds involved as well, but they supply their super titanium alloy that gets used in the landing gear of the lunar um, the lunar lander. Uh, now, the first one didn't make it to, in 2022, winter of 22, it didn't make it to the moon. Its altitude sensor got messed up by one of the rims of the craters, and it, uh, you know, it, it crashed. So they've got another one coming end of next year. But it's such a real, you know, David wrote that article saying he wished brands did um, more to kind of, you know, flaunt their abilities and, you know, you know, prove that their watches are able to do things rather than these theoretical depth ratings or what have you, you know, send them up a mountain, do something like this. And this, um, this isn't just a watch. It's given that it's this material that serves as a backbone, one of the pillars of their catalog. I think, you know, what better way it's not on a guy's wrist. It's literally the landing gear. So I think it's a really cool thing they're doing. And of course, these are the Atessa models. So they're packed full of all of the craziest uh, tech they have. So um, the flagship one with the mother of pearl dial, it'll get a, sec- a signal in three seconds. It'll also run for an absurd amount of time. I, I believe it's like five years when fully charged in power save mode. Mm. So that's quite a long way from the um, like six months of a standard eco drive movement. So these really, really are like modern, very, very modern analog watches. And I think that's just kind of cool from a conceptual standpoint. I do like the moon phase, which appears to automatically be correct for wherever you are. Did you manage to trick it in any way so as you could see it automatically setting? No, I would love to see these in person and just have one for an extended period where I had to travel a lot and just see how mm. well it, you know, it does it does its thing. Obviously, you're able to, you know, push and get re- signals uh, more rapidly, but I'd love to see just how well it's able to just autonomously, you know, adjust for northern, southern hemisphere, different coasts, time t- change adjustments. Because if it it's able to do it, you know, exactly what it promises, that's a fantastic piece of kit that. You know, think of a smartwatch that you don't have to charge almost. Mm-hmm. No, it looks very cool. Go and check out the article on the website. Now, in a bit of a change of format, uh, because we have been joined due to internet issues early by everybody, internet issues caused by me, but everybody else has turned up when I told them to. Uh, the Hit Miss Maybe gang are here. So let's uh, have a bit of a change of plan. And we're going to play, because we have them here to play with, the Guess the Price of the Grand Seiko with the full Hit Miss Maybe squad and see just how often. I wonder if it's one of these things that if you get enough people to say a number, then the average ends up being the correct price. But we'll discover that shortly. Uh, But before we do, let's see who is all here. Uh, If everyone's got their video on, let's start with who I see. Bottom right hand side of my screen is Simon Escapement 24. How are you, Simon? Where are you and what are you wearing? Yeah, I'm very good and fully recovered now from the uh, the man flu or the lurgy, which has been bothering me for a couple of weeks. Um, so I'm at home in Wales and I'm wearing the Tissot PRX, the uh, quartz, but it's the one with the fully loomed dial, which is quite cool when it lights up. 
Very nice. I think you're maybe joined by somebody else wearing a PRX, but we'll get to them in a minute. Uh, Will, where are you and what are you wearing? Uh, I'm in uh, my uh, Swiss uh, cabin um, (laughs) uh, this evening. Very good. Um, Yeah, and um, I am wearing my uh, uh, Rolex uh, 1500, the vintage um, Oyster Perpetual on a uh, generic uh, NATO strap. Mm, I believe we even have a picture of it for those of you that are tuned into this on YouTube. Very nice. Yes, it is a particularly generic strap, I feel. <laughs> nothing particularly special seen or them everywhere. noticeable about it, no. Nothing, nothing barking mad about them. Is nothing. the bond strap? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he wishes. Uh, yes, Adrian wishes that that was that Omega were buying their straps off of him. I right next up on my screen, David, fill us in. Where are you? What are you wearing? Next on my screen then is Jake, new to the show, not new to a blog to watch. Where are you today, and what are you wearing? Uh, I am in Buffalo, New York, and you know it's being recorded at a reasonable Eastern Standard Time hour for once. <laughs> And I am wearing yes. a Cartier tank solar beat, small, so way too small Ooh. for your wrist, Rick. Very nice. I had the solar beat though. It's it, it's it's you know it's the acceptable face of Cartier. To be fair, definitely the acceptable face of Cartier. Kevin, where are you? And what are you wearing? You're muted, Kevin. Uh, new technology, don't you love it? Right, David, where are you? What are you wearing? Listen to this. Oh, Can you hear that? Is it a is it a cricket? Yes. Yes. I very finally good. managed to get one. Yay! <laughs> info review. Oh, is it a new one? Is it? It's not really a new one, but it's on sale today. And if you keep winding it, it keeps. It keeps going. Am I the only one that that feels that that sounds like your wind up toy is dying? Yes, <laughs> but you can relieve that all for just the measly sum of like three thousand dollars, <laughs> basically. You know, I, I think it's a fun one. They're not automatic winding, are they? No, they are hand wound, and uh, in one direction you wind the movement, and in the other you wind yeah. the uh, the cricket. I just wondered if there was an automatic version that you could put on a watch winder, and could you make the watch winder go quick enough? so that it wound hmm. the watch while still switched on making its noise. There's a, there's a test for Guillaume at Vulcan to try out. Uh, Ripley, you fun. are still in the dark in your cave, but what are you wearing? Uh, well, since I, it's a shame that you can't see me today because it's so dark here in Los <laughs> Angeles, but uh, I'm wearing oh, all right. five of my Philippe Dufour simplicities today. I just brought them ah, out. I'd figured I would just strap them on my arm so you working. could just <laughs> bask in their glory. And I'm that's wearing a, a, a Roger Smith around the neck. So I, I'm, you know, it's that's a real. I, it's a shame that you cannot see me and it's so dark. But uh, just know there is just horological excellence. I'm basking in all of it right now. Yeah. I did used to play a game called Fantasy Risk Check, but maybe for another day. Kevin, are you in touch with us? This is this is England calling England. England, are you there? This is Warwickshire calling. Kevin? No, Kevin is Kevin is there in video, but not in voice. So we'll just say hi, Kevin. Kevin Kevin's video is 144p. Like he's calling from 2006, <laughs> I can tell. It takes 16 year, 18 years to, for the sound to get here. <laughs> we'll check back in in 2042, Kevin. That's fine. 
Is his voice going to come in as a, as a MIDI track? <laughs> I can tell you that he is wearing this Tizo PRX uh, Powermatic uh, two-tone, I believe. So I'll do his wrist check for him, and he's somewhere in England. Kevin, just nod if that's correct. Kevin is nodding. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is hit, miss, maybe. It's done by sign, so it could be silent. So we could do it as a silent game. You just hold up the signs. So there we go. Kevin is going to play mm. silently for this evening. Hand, gest- hand gestures. Oh, no, 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 those kind of hand gestures, Kevin. Hand gestures only. <laughs> uh, anyway, right. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's very quickly uh, play. Guess the price of the Grand Seiko. So let me share the screen if we can get this to work. Uh, there we go. New release Grand Seiko Spring Drive SPGA 497 and SPGE 305 Calibert 9R 20th anniversary. So it's a 20th anniversary because, you know, Grand Seiko like nothing if not an anniversary. We have a Spring Drive. 20 uh, times the original price. <laughs> we have a Spring Drive <laughs> and a Caliber 9R. They are a Grand Seiko, so they will be more than a grand. Why were these launched on the same day and on the same picture? Uh, like these two watches have nothing to do with one another. David, Absolutely when nothing. you have to release a thousand new watches a year, you can't do one for a day. You know that. <laughs> Just bunch them all up, right? I mean, this is like a 1908 and an Explorer 2 debuting on the same picture. It doesn't make any sense. You should be asking why are there only two watches being launched on that day? Why not 17 new ones? <laughs> because they launched all of the other ones this yeah. week. They launched all the other ones. Mm. I mean, I wrote the article on these and they're both just inspired by like the same view of the mountain. One is like the land, one is the sky. (laughs) The the fact that these are actually from the same creation brief, it's not just like they were launched on the same day. It's like, you know, the two different views of the mountain. It is kind of, it is even, it is, they're they're actually related. And then meanwhile, we've got other snowflakes and all of that. Yeah, so Ripley, one is Ripley's view of a Grand Seiko from his cave in the dark because it's dark burgundy and the other is light pink and they're both supposed to be a view of the same thing. One is a GMT and a spring drive and one's a Calvin Niner. There is no sense to this whatsoever. But let's see if there's even less sense to the pricing. Before we Mm -hmm. get into the poetry of it, Mm -hmm. the dark one, it's supposed to be the earthen landscape with the black bezel being the the rock on the mountain. And the dark red is the sun as it reflects off of the the ground. So that's the ground one. The other one would be more of the winter uh, time of the year. So we've got like the the warm sun kind of, you know, reflecting off of the the ice, but you don't get the white of the snowflake. It's a pink flake because it's pink. So there is some poetry there as mm. usual is the connection tenuous okay. yes as usual so yeah there you go <laughs> i think i think grand seiko needs to make a haiku to go to every one of the new watches <laughs> that way we know what to say about it because we're all just basically floundering trying to explain the theme yes we're, we sound like morons it's all just the fever dream of david attenborough i mean i've never seen <laughs> the sun sunlight reflecting dark red of of any form of rock ever Maybe I don't spend enough time in nature. But if there was a silly haiku, we'd all be repeating. <laughs> Grand Seiko, hire a haiku writer because that's what we're all missing. Right. Well, you're the artist in residence at a blog to watch weekly. Is this complete pretension or is there some artistic merit behind this? Um, two views of the same mountain. Oh, come on. Um, I hope it's. I hope it's a two. I hope it's two for one um, because um, I'm, I'm not convinced. I, I lived in Japan for a couple of years and uh-huh. I can this uh-huh. this 
smacks of Japanese poetry all over it, but I don't think there's there's particularly a lot of substance necessarily behind it. I'm going to be quite controversial and say that. Um, I'm going <laughs> to say six and a half thousand pounds, if I can say that. Um, but okay. um, for me, yeah. We're playing guess the price, aren't we? Rather well, than hit miss or maybe. I, am, I mean, for me, it's a miss we as are well. Paying, but, you know. We are paying guess the price. <laughs> a two for the price exactly. of one you see we got a price and a hit miss maybe i'm actually not gonna ask the... you no 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 listen listen oh. i'm not actually gonna ask you to guess the prices oh. i'm gonna ask you to guess what is the difference in oh. price between these two watches so jake give me a number what is the difference in price between a gmt spring drive and a 9r a movement Three-hander with an asymmetrical power reserve. The GMT is in steel, and the other one's titanium. Okay, and the GMT is oh. a spring bezel. Oh, uh, I'm going to say there's a four four thousand dollar difference. Four thousand dollar difference. Now, those of you who were listening to last week's show, I think you've <laughs> no, no, already no, no. given away See? the answer to this. <laughs> <laughs> quite Wait. possibly. Quite possibly. <laughs> Jake, in which direction? Uh, I think the GMT is more expensive. Uh-huh. Just because. <laughs> okay. Ari- Ariel, what's your guess on the price difference between these two watches? I feel like elements cancel each other out. Like, we know they charge more for a GMT. <laughs> we know they charge more for a titanium. Yeah. So, like, I actually think that the price difference between these is very modest, if, if I had to guess. I'd okay. say it's probably $1,000 maximum. $1,000 maximum. Uh, Kevin, we can't see you. We can't hear you. So I am going to consult the great watchmaker in the sky and guess that you... No, we can see you. Hold up a number of fingers as to how many thousand pound difference there is between these two watches. Kevin is holding up a fist. <laughs> I'm not sure why he's holding up a fist. Mm. Uh, one. One. He's holding up a one. Kevin just... Kevin has just bought these at auction from Christie's. Well done, Kevin. You are the winner tonight. <laughs> uh, David... Sold. <laughs> so, David, what is the price difference between these two watches? Yeah, I, 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 I do believe that the GMT should be more expensive, but then the titanium should be also more expensive. So I guess that they are both expensive. So I will say that they are both around eight thousand, I guess, okay. something around eight nine. Yeah, okay. thereabouts. Well, I, difference I would say is uh, two thousand dollars between them. I, I think they kind of almost cancel each other out, but not quite. And we'll go to Simon, who did listen to the last week's show, and so has to lie now for comedy effect because he knows what the answer is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me think. Uh, well, no. Um, if 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 Ripley gave away any clues last week, then I would say the uh-huh. difference. He could probably put a cigarette paper between the two prices. So I'm going to yes. say a hundred dollars. Right, Ripley. Would you care to give us the answer as to what these watches are worth and what the difference in price between the two of them is? I honestly, if I'm being honest, I don't even remember. I, I the only thing I remember was that it was it was really really close, and I, that was like the the craziest part of it. So I, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think the uh, GMT is less expensive than its mm-hmm. titanium sibling, and yes. I want to say if I'm not mistaken, the GMT is priced at actually let me just go ahead and look at this up so we are not wrong. Six thousand two hundred dollars. Okay, so- yeah, and the other is six thousand three hundred. Three hundred dollars. So a hundred, a hundred I mean, bucks. When they put the pre- press release together and they thought there's a difference in price between these two watches of a hundred dollars, should we not just like say they're both the same price? Would that not just have been the logical thing to do? 
uh, or not release them at the same time would perhaps have been the most logical thing to do. Jake, do you feel ashamed of your first guess and go at this game? No, because I still think most of the pricing is ridiculous. So <laughs> I'm actually pleased that, that they're much less than I expected. Good, good. Well, it's still quite an exciting. They're quite nice, but why you're trying to release them together, the only reason can be because you have to release them together because you're making so many releases. Right, let's do what we're actually here for. It's possible that Ariel might have to leave us, so goodbye, Ariel, if you do. But let's start our first uh, hit, Miss Maybe, which is going to be this, which is hands-on with the Zenith Chronomaster Sport titanium watch i have to say i really like this it's basically the zenith chrono master sport but in titanium david it still has the el primero movement you've not managed after last week to move along uh, the rolex daytona mm. movement into it unfortunately they have so far rolex have uh spurned your advances but uh, yes you can have a look at this watch in the pictures on youtube if you're tuned in but gentlemen what do you think of this? Is this a hit, a miss, or a maybe? On the count of three, we'll see who's playing. Go. I didn't bring my sign with me to my hotel, so I'm using the thumbs up mode. Uh, it's okay. a hit. I'm, I don't have a sign, so I'm just going to... Uh, Ariel has neither out, yeah. sign nor camera, so he's just shouting. <laughs> okay, so we have one, so two... Or, okay. I think we have three hits. We might have four. The video is really slow in Warwickshire. Shakespeare doesn't need high-speed internet, so he's not got it. So, Jake, how did you vote and why? So I voted maybe, and it's all comes down to the class. I mean, I absolutely love to watch. It's even better in titanium. doesn't feel like a wannabe Daytona, like everyone says, but it is a 15-year-old style class that has three or four micro adjustments, not on the fly. You need a spring bar, and over $10,000, you should absolutely have an on-the-fly micro adjustment all these watches should, and on a bracelet like this watch should be worn, it absolutely needs it. So that's the only reason I voted maybe. If it had a better clasp, it would be an absolute hit for me. There we go. We invite Jake onto the show and he actually gives us some logical reasoning as to his mm. vote. The rest of you could obviously do with learning. So let's see if anybody's learned Ripley. Is that legal? Uh, I, I, you know, I say it's a hit. I, um, I, I agree that there's certain things I would say should be done differently on it. Um, I, I think the premium for titanium could have been way worse if they wanted to. So I kind of have to give them respect for keeping it within the realm of possibility. Um, my only critique of the original ones was that they just seemed a little bit too Daytona-y. So this does feel substantially different. Um, but yeah, I agree with Jake. Yeah, put a put a proper clasp on it at this price point. Many other brands are able to do it also in titanium for well below $1,000. So, mm. you know, they should go ahead and just invest a little bit into that. But as a whole, I conceptually, I quite like it. Um, you know, I think I, it, it'll be interesting to see it in the metal because I think a full titanium, that watch isn't exactly small. I think in full titanium might be quite interesting. But yeah, it's a hit for me. Cool. I don't know if Ariel's still on the call. Ariel, are you still on the call? Yes. No, don't think about it. Oh, yeah. How did you So vote? I shot this watch um, at LVMH Watch Week, and it was a bit of a soft launch for them because they um, weren't an, a debuting it there, but like a week or two later related to some tennis competition, I think, in, in Norway. When you lift the watch, you notice that it has all those things you like about the Chronomaster Sport, but with the lightness of titanium. And I think that's something that we can all enjoy. Um, I happen to like the kind of silver-on-silver silver look, so I thought it was sort of a little bit of a unique take. 
um, how they how they you know cosmetically approached it. Um, in reference to the bracelet, I completely understand and agree, but there's a slightly different take here, and that is they're actually trying to go for an old look. The Chronomaster Sport is sort of a reminder of like, hey guys, we used to have our movements in the Daytona. And they're trying to evoke that sense of the vintage Daytona. So yes, it's a modern watch, but it's supposed to look and feel a little bit like a vintage one, which again, is sort of a strange thing for people like us that want to see modernity out of them. Uh, the Chrono Master Sport has been the most popular um, selection of watches at Zenith currently. And so it makes sense for them to sort of keep making no, sort of new variations on it. Um, so it, it's a watch that's designed to meet like a bunch of strange and sometimes completely disparate expectations. Um, the fact that they didn't charge a crazy amount for it, I think is, is positive. And if you are someone that likes nicely finished titanium that extends from a case to a bracelet, I think there's a lot to enjoy here. So it's like... It, it, if you're if you don't care about this collection of watches at all from Zenith, this maybe will not make you come over. But if you were, you know, already have one or just didn't find a reason to get it yet, and you happen to like titanium watches, again compared to like a Grand Seiko titanium watch, there's like a lot of value here. I I kind of understand the concept of making it look like the old one, but don't you want like old with the new functionality? Like I wouldn't make like a you know, a retro car and then specifically not do air conditioning because that was like historically accurate. You know, I told, I'd have it look right, maybe have it an air-cooled engine, you know, keep it all original, but I definitely want a few of the creature comforts. And I think that's like yeah, but the classic Porsche extension Yeah, today on that sells one. plenty of performance cars with no air conditioning and people lap that up. So it's just one of those strange things where some people want that, oh, this looks like the familiar old crappy clasp that I like. And others like us are like, this is from like last century. What the hell are you doing? Like, there's no way of satisfying <sighs> both the people that want that old familiar look and people like us who are like, you know, leave this in, in, in you know, 1985. I think that's that's an excellent point. They should, I, I wonder who will be the first watch brand to, to do a full on like Porsche and, and be like, oh, you want the nice clasp? Clasp, that's another $300. I think it's Omega you with the heads rear... crystal. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, that's a good start. But if you want the rear windscreen wiper, that's $300. Oh, you want like dual zone climate control in your $80,000 car? That's another. You want a rear view camera? That's another thousand. You know, they should just do that. You want a shifting knob? That's yeah, you want an you. even remotely decent rim or clasp? That's going to cost you, sir. I, that's an excellent idea. And this base, this watch actually would be the best base for that because it's like 11000 So it's cheap ish enough to lure you in because it's like five grand cheaper than a daytona and then, then you would be like sure i will splash another one thousand on a nice class but another nine thousand one thousand on the on the nicer bezel and whatever right this is a cool business model yeah but what a lot of the car brands are doing david is the car brands are actually charging you more money for <laughs> ah, taking even things better. away now okay so it's like you want a you want a stripped out lightweight version with plastic windows instead of glass so you're going to pay another fifty thousand tank buckle the two thousand dollar tank yeah. buckle. I think that's a thing. I mean, it's lightweight. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I really liked it. Um, I really liked the the classic design as well. It reminded me of the nineteen seventies. It looks like it's been um, etched from a, a block um, of pure metal. It's very um, masculine. Um, it looks great. Case back looks amazing. Um, I love the red text on it as well. It's just a beautifully a beautiful looking watch, and it looks. I'd say it even looks more expensive than it probably than it is. Um, and I've got no comment on the bracelet. Um, I, I, nothing to add to what's already been said anyway. Um, but I, I really like it and definitely a hit for me. 
Mm. I mean, it's a $12,000 watch, uh, only an $800 increase over the steel, but if you go onto certain websites, you're getting these at 2000 below retail, and that's before any negotiation. And I think that's maybe the only problem with this particular watch, is that it, you know, there's a, with the way the market is, it's not like there's a race at the bottom, but you don't need to buy a new one. You can buy a nearly new one or go in and negotiate hard with your, your AD and probably get a wee chunk off of this. So it's, yeah, that's that's maybe the only problem I can foresee. Who else has not told us why they voted, how they voted? I think it's me. I voted on, hit. Uh, I, I think it's a hit because I think this, in a few ways... Um, barring a, a, a ceramic bezel, um, I think is what the Daytona should be today. I mean, it's titanium. The Daytona does not exist in that form. And it's a one-tenth of a second chronograph with uh, the super-fast central seconds, which also hints at quite an advanced movement. And I love that for basically two-thirds of the price of a steel Daytona. I think this this is right up there. It's, it's, um, it's movement development. It's an advanced um, um, thing on its own in terms of materials and movement. So it's it's the whole package. And sure, it's a whole lot of money for 11.8, but still, I think it's one heck of a watch for that kind of money. Hmm. Good stuff. Anybody else? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with all of that, really. I think it offers, you know, really tremendous value. Um, it's a Zenith. I like most Zeniths, so it was probably always going to be a hit for me. Um, but I think they've done a really nice job crafting this one in titanium. And as you, some of you have already said, that price premium is, is pretty reasonable, isn't it? Good stuff. Right. Uh, next up, something a bit different. Uh, let me share this with so those that are watching YouTube can see. This is the Tag Heuer Connected Caliber E4 Green Ceramic 45mm smartwatch. And I don't know what those two next words are. Vincdukcept eyewear. I don't know if it's short for something. I, I have. It's just van set. Oh, it's 27. All right. So they just decided that it was good to just. But why have they put it in capitals? They've got. Not only have they changed Fair language, point. but they've changed font at the same time or whatever. Well, what is it when you change something from lowercase to uppercase? Is that a name for something? It must be a brand because oh. it says Vanset Eyewear. So I think maybe it's maybe you get some some special glasses, uh, special to... glasses with it as well. Yeah, but they've just launched an eyewear range, haven't they? So ah, okay, that, that'll uh, be it. One, one can only, yeah, there we go. Tag Heuer Van Set, which incidentally is then not in uppercase, so on the actual glasses. So who who knows who it is that's doing their their uh, you know what is it you call when you try and get all your logos consistent with each other? There's a there's a name for that which escapes me just now. One of you more clever people will know what it is. Uh, what do we think of the Tag Heuer Connected Watch? Let's uh, have a vote and see. Is it a hit? A miss or a maybe? Go. We have a miss, a maybe, a maybe, a maybe. And what Simon voting? And a maybe and a miss. So there's no hits, but there's a few maybes. So Ripley, tell us why it's a miss. Um, I So I have kind of an odd 
problem with Tag Heuer smartwatches. I, you know, for luxury smartwatches, I've made a case for them before uh, when I covered the Hublot um, World Cup watch. And I think if you're going to do a luxury smartwatch, you better go really hard. It's got to be, you know, a brand like Hublot where it's ridiculous. They can't contradict themselves and having like a giant digital big bang you know, as a way to just like flex your wealth in smartwatch form. I kind of get the point of that. Tag doesn't quite have that ridiculous cachet as Hublot. And then if I was going to spend serious money on a quote unquote luxury smartwatch, I'd get something from the Garmin Mark series because it's objectively a superior smartwatch and product from that point of view. It's not using the same kind of, you know, Snapdragon processor and Google OS. It's, you know, it's very much its own product. So it's, you know, aesthetically, it's not a bad looking watch, but if I'm going to get a luxury smartwatch, it's either going to be the very, very purposeful Garmin or the ridiculous Hublot with the, you know, digital minute repeater that I can chime off at the bar and show to my friends, you know? So it's, this is kind of in that weird, neither here nor there space for me where it's too expensive for being something I could practically use in my everyday life. I also can't pronounce the collaboration name. So I, you know, it's a miss for me. They won't be your friends anymore, but you can sure show it off once. <laughs> Simon? Yeah, um, as you know, I'm a pretty big Sequoia fan. Um, one of the few that are still out there. Um, but um, I want to like this watch. Um, I've always wanted to like smartwatches. I think that this is, I think the Connected is one of the few smartwatches that actually looks and feels like a watch. Um, but it's not the best smartwatch, if that will make sense. I think most people probably accept that the the Apple, whatever that watch is called, is probably the best one out there. I, d I don't have any experience with the Garmin, so I can't really comment on that one. Um, so I think that um, this is a great concept. I don't know whether they have executed it as well as they should. Mm. Well, um, I, I have an Apple smartwatch, and it's just purely for the functionality of recording um, what little exercise um, I do. If I was going if I was going for something else, I'd probably go for the Mont Blanc Summit smartwatch because I think that looks just nicer. Yeah. Quite yeah. a bit nicer. Um, uh, and for me, it was a miss, yes. Um, just generally smartwatches are just uh, a little bit cold, a little bit soulless. Not to criticize them just for the sake of that, but the, uh, the style uh, design didn't necessarily appeal to me. Uh, for this one, I think there are nicer smartwatches out there. And finally, David, because we appear to have lost about three people in the process. That was what they thought of the Tag Heuer smartwatch. They left it. They literally yeah, left Yeah, I can the understand building. why they logged off. I mean, it, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> they were like, well, it's late hour. We're talking about the Tag. Um, fair enough. I think it's, um, it's, a, it's a decent execution on something that I personally don't want. Um, and, you know, I feel for <laughs> Tag Heuer because I always feel like they put an almost unreasonably high amount of effort into this product. They feel like, oh, let's let's pour all this engineering, all this care and attention into it to make it even better than it used to be. Whereas people will just shrug and either buy one on a whim or not care too much or just buy whatever else, right? The Monaco or a Carrera. So for me, it's 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 an odd product, even from Tech Hoyer. But I, I feel for them. I, I understand that they do put a lot of effort into it. Um, it feels like a bottomless pit though, on the other hand, it's expensive, it's very difficult to make any form of sense of, but I respect the effort, so that's why I give them a maybe on something that I would not wear on a daily basis. Okay, well, our final for today, which will be much quicker and who do everyone will regret not having stayed on for the Omega Seamaster 
Planet Ocean chronograph in some fancy new colours. So, <laughs> what do we think of this? Omega quietly introduces six Seamaster Planet Ocean 600m Boutique Editions. I am a big fan of the Planet Ocean, but should they have kept quiet about it? So, is this a hit, a miss, or a maybe? And Ripley, you can scream at the top of your lungs as to what you think. Uh, it's a hit. I, I just wish they uh, communicated it a little better, but I, I like the watches. <laughs> Good stuff. So a couple of hits, some maybes, and we're not quite sure what David is voting because his video is lagging. But there we go. <laughs> or at least his video in my little hotel room by the time it reaches me via 15 satellites. David's given it a hit. So there we go. Let's start with you, yes. David. Why, why are these releases a hit? And why did Omega stay so quiet about them? I'm not sure why they did. Uh, maybe they do have too much on their hands, as Grand Seiko does. Uh, it happens. Uh, these are still way too thick, um, but I do like them quite a lot. I, I like these subdued colorways, and it's too rare these days. So, uh, wow, it's it's a classy selection of, of some really uh, cool watches. They're not outrageously expensive, at least not. I mean, they are all under 10 grand. Yeah. All, uh, even all the chronographs. So, like some yeah, so I, I, I think that's... Yeah, it's not it's not unreasonable, and uh, I I quite like this direction. I, I I hope to see more of this. Ripley, what did you think? And is is this kind of colorway showing the future of colors, or colors heading in a more muted direction? Uh, I, maybe we've we've kind of been at peak funky, vibrant color saturation for a few years now. So maybe there, this can be a swinging back. These kind of military inspired colorways of this trio, I think they're good looking watches. I also think as Omega as a brand continues to get, um, you know, be more and more of a luxury manufacturer, their products have noticeably gotten more flashier. I mean, look at the Seamaster Pro uh, from like you know, the 90s till now. It's a very different watch despite having a very consistent design language. So I kind of like these military-themed Planet Oceans. The three-hander in gray almost feels like something that you could have seen on, you know, Daniel Craig's wrist and some of the earlier James Bond films uh, that he did. So I think these are good-looking watches. Uh, I like kind of the more utilitarian direction for Omega. So do I wish they were thinner? Yes. Do I wish that Omega communicated them a bit better? Sure, but I... Objectively speaking, I think they're good-looking pieces, so uh, it's a hit for me. Great stuff. Uh, Simon? Yeah, I think um, well, I said it a maybe on these, and I think that some of the colors work really well. I really like that gray one. Um, some of the other colors I'm not so sure about. Um, I think overall, I think the Planet Ocean is um, it's not for me, but I appreciate it. That makes sense. It's too big for me. It's too thick. Um, you know, it would probably feel like I was wearing a knuckle duster. Um, but I can see why people like them, and I think they've got a great product there. And I think, yeah, they've, they've done a good job with some of the colours. Great stuff. And finally, Will? Um, yeah, I really like the Planet Ocean. I like it for the fact that it's big and chunky, and it's unashamedly a uh, dive uh, a dive watch. Um, I prefer it in the more vibrant orange that We've kind of seen it in previously, or traditionally it has been in for quite a while. Um, the grey one works. I'm not so sure about the other colourways, um, to be honest with you. I think for a watch like that, it needs to be either more muted or it needs to be something vibrant, um, like a vibrant orange or a vibrant yellow, uh, for me, anyway. Uh, so that's why I said it was a, it was a, a maybe. Um, it will definitely have um, 
uh, it will definitely pick up a lot of sales. Um, but for me, um, I think there are other planet oceans I'd probably go for. Great stuff. Well, if you made it this far in the podcast, then well done, because you made it further than at least four members of the team who were originally on this call. So, What did you say, Rick? So what? well done for sticking out to the end. <laughs> it was it was bringing that tag wire on. It seems so to polarizing. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there we go so yeah I, I didn't realise that people were supposed to vote with their feet exactly voting with their feet vote, voting with their getting getting out of Zoom <laughs> getting out of Dodge uh, <laughs> whenever they see something electronically powered maybe they were just that disappointed at the guess the price of the Seiko uh, result but there we have it anyway thank you all very much for listening gentlemen thank you for joining us and uh Join us all again in a week's time. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everyone. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye.